It's great to see you all, and I wanted to officially welcome you to summer. Don't you guys feel like we're officially there now? The sun's out. I don't know. What, what do you associate with summer? Like, what, are you, what tells you, like, we're there, you've arrived? Anything come to mind? Fourth of July, for sure. De- De- Dodgers, there you go. Whoa, you're just covering all of them. <laughs> For me, a lot of times I associate, like when we were growing up, always summertime meant spending time with family, distant relatives you've never seen before. Anybody have some people coming in town? Uh, Look forward to that, connecting with different uh, relatives. On my side of the family growing up, my my grandfather uh, was one of 19 children. So my great-grandmother had 19 kids. So family gatherings, as you can imagine, uh, were just off the charts. Like they were insanity. Uh, my grandfather, actually here's a picture of my uh, grandparents. Uh, and so, uh, no, but we'd get together and uh, we'd get together at my uncle's house. He had a lot of property and we'd, uh, we'd gather around and uh, always the best food. Like you couldn't find anything healthy. Like there was nothing healthy at all. Uh, my grandfather was a, a, a butcher uh, by trade. He was that guy that like would look at your plate after you finished eating and be like, uh, that steak's not done. There's still some uh, gristle there. Let's uh, finish that up. And he passed away in his early 60s. Uh, but uh, anyway, true story. Uh, but back to the point. The point was when we'd get together, it was the best to hear all the adults, even as a kid, just telling stories. It'd kind of outdo each other, one person with one story, another person with another story. And we'd sit around and as a kid, you'd kind of enjoy that for a while. But after like an hour or so, you're like, all right, let's go play. Let's go do something else. What would blow my mind, I'd go off with my cousins. We'd come back and the sun's starting to go down. You come back and everybody was still sitting in the same exact spots, still telling stories that many hours later. And it, it just blew my mind. I was like, how does that even work? And now that I'm an adult, I've become that person. I've become that person. I, I love just sitting around and doing a whole lot of nothing, just talking, just t- telling stories. Anybody else become that person as you get older? Uh, anyone not willing to admit it? Uh, but really the reason I, I bring that up is because we were thinking as we're kind of processing through this summer, we're thinking, you know what, how sweet would it be to just make this summer about telling stories? Not our stories, but the stories that Jesus told the stories. God wired us, if you don't understand this, for connection. And the way that we so often connect best with people is sharing stories. You get to know that person a little bit better. You get to hear their heart. You get a glimpse into what they're passionate about or what, what matters to them. What I love is Jesus understood this. He understood that the way that we hold on to memories, the way that we hold on to stuff is through story that we can touch and feel and sense. And I've learned that as preaching. Like a lot of times I'll get done with a sermon now, we'll have hoped that somebody's going to remember this point and this point, And they just remember some random story that I told. And like, in fact, last week, who remembers this from talking last week? Who remembers this? Uh, but who could tell me the three main points that I had? Nobody. So that, that's the... I'm just teasing as you are scrambling to pull out your notes. But here's the, the idea is Jesus understood this. He went with it. And so most of his teaching, we celebrate him being such an amazing communicator. So much of his teaching revolved around what we call parables. If you don't know what a parable is, parable by definition, by definition is a fictitious story used to make a spiritual point. Fictitious story used to make a spiritual point. He was a master storyteller. 
was so amazing at grabbing things that people could touch and see and feel and relate with, using that to make kind of lofty ideas become digestible, something that you could understand. And so we're going to take a look at a number of those this summer, and we believe two things are going to happen. One, we're going to grow in our understanding of the same points that he was trying to make then, and also get to know Jesus a little bit better. Amen? Let me pray towards that end. Lord Jesus, we invite you now to speak to us through your word. I love that still a couple thousand years later, things are still so relevant. We ask now that you'd rid us of distraction, you'd free us of all the things in our week, and you'd allow us to literally engage with the thought process here as you told these stories to help us make sense out of prayer. We ask that you'd speak to us, that you'd be great, I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, if you wouldn't mind turning with me, we're in uh, the book of Luke, one of the Gospels, Luke chapter 11 here this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use one from the chair in front of you. If you don't own one, you can take that with you uh, here today. But the idea of this is it's coming, just to give you a little context, it's in the life of Christ, and it's coming right after one of the disciples had observed what an amazing job Jesus did at praying and asked him, can you teach us? how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus is like, yes, that's something I can teach you. And so he starts by giving the example of prayer that we're all familiar with. It's called the Lord's Prayer. So he talks through that as a a literal example of how to pray. But then he goes right from the going in through the Lord's Prayer to a specific story to help them make sense about how prayer works. And that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Chapter 11, verse 5 We'll read the story and then explain or unpack it a little bit. Verse 5 says this, And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Or we'll stop there and kind of uh, explore that a little bit. It's important to see, first off, the, the humor in the story. I mean, this is a couple thousand years later, but he's trying to paint a picture or a scenario that really any audience could relate with an annoying friend. Maybe you have that person that always seems to need something. In this scenario, it makes sense, though. He had had his friend had had a guest that showed up and shows up kind of late. And in that day and age, it's kind of a a customary thing. If you think about it, cultural hospitality, that somebody arrives that you want to serve them something to drink and then something to eat. That's kind of the, the thing to do. And so he realized this particular friend that he didn't have anything to serve his guest. And in that day and age, it's not like they had a stocked fridge or cabinet or something they could draw from and there was no 24 hour 7-Eleven. And so instead he decides to do what? Go over, knock on his buddy's door and ask for some food, ask for some food. And you think about that and his reaction to that says that he comes at what time of the night? Midnight. Now, a lot of our college students are like, oh, that doesn't sound so bad. That's uh, kind of when things are just getting started. But that day and age, pre-electricity, that was like four in the morning. You're like legit asleep. This is the middle of the night. A friend in need is a friend indeed does not apply here at midnight. And so you see, I, lo- I love his response. There's no kind of hint of being accommodating. What does he say? Don't 
bother me. Don't bother me. Anybody else get a little bit cranky when somebody wakes you up from sleep? I have a, a bent towards that, unfortunately. Here's the pastor coming clean. Even this last week, I had fallen asleep on the couch in our living room, and my daughter, Sienna, she's so sweet, so adorable. She has this idea. I think it came from uh, the pit of, uh, but anyway, uh, starts tickling my feet while I'm asleep. And I wake up to that. I'm like, what are you doing? Can't you see that I'm sleeping? See, I'm not the only one that deals with this. And in that, that moment of weakness, I wouldn't say it was a shining moment, right, Adrian? Uh, but but in, that, in that moment, you start to realize, man, there's like a different side of you that comes out when you're awoken. Anybody have that? In case uh, you're feeling bad about me, my wife's even worse. Don't tell her I said that. But, uh, but this, this picture, this picture, I picture this guy. He's like, are you kidding me? You're going to come asking me for bread just because you didn't store or save enough for your potential guests. And he's irritated. He says, don't bug me. Don't bother me. And then the situation you see a little bit here also that's elevated by another factor in the mix, what does he say is happening? Why he can't come to the door? Children are with me in bed. Now that sounds kind of weird in our culture, but in that day and age, it would be a one bedroom home and they're all packed in there like sardines. Anybody else on vacations, the cheapskates in the room? I always, we always get the double beds. Adrian and I are in one. And then the kids, we have three of them. We have them line up sideways on the bed so they can maximize that bed. And always, it's such a process to get our kids asleep when they're finally, finally asleep after threatening their lives many times. You're kind of like, if someone were to wake them up, that's like the worst conceivable possibility. And that's the same thing you picture with this guy. He's like, don't wake the kids. Don't wake the kids. Because once the kids are awake, the night's shot. It's, it's over. They've already gotten a little bit of rest. They're wired. They're ready to go. Camp counselors know what I'm talking about, right? And this idea, don't wake the kids. Whatever you do, don't wake the kids. And so he's saying that. And I, I love the description that he, that he says there. Uh, he says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. Instead, it says, I, he says, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he seeks, whatever he asks. This idea is that, hey, it's not that he's going to get up because of being your friend. That, that's not why he's getting up. Why does it say he's getting up? Because of impudence. This idea, the, the picture or definition of that is this idea of kind of relentless boldness or shameless bugging, or if annoyingness is a word, that would be there. Because of his annoyingness, I'm going to get out of bed because why? The guy that's there in bed is thinking to himself, what's the fastest way that I can go deal with this situation and be back asleep with my wife? Like what's the fastest way to get from, and the fastest way is to just go and deal with this annoying friend. Now, when I first read this story, I was like, wait a second, what point is he trying to make? Who's the annoying friend? Who's the one being disturbed? What do you guys think? When you're reading that, you're like, well, who am I in this story? I put it there in the description. Here's the first thing to understand. He's creating an opposite scenario. He's saying, you're not the annoying friend. That's a little bit of an exhale, right? In fact, tell the person next to you, you're not the annoying friend. That'll be good for them to hear. Some of you just can't compel yourself to say that to your spouse right now. But, uh, but either way, 
this picture of not being the annoying friend, here's the important thing to understand. He's dispelling myths about prayer. You're not the annoying friend. When you bring your request to God, you're not that guy. You're not the neighbor coming at midnight. You're not the guy that's pestering. You're not disturbing Almighty God. And a lot of times that's what so often keeps us from prayer. We're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to bug God about that. I'm not going to bring him up. I'm not going to bring up that topic. You know, he's got other things. He's like saving kids in China. Like he's doing other things more important. Like he's doing something globally that's more important than my little request. He's like, no, that's not it. The other thing is he's not the cranky friend that only because he's irritated, he finally says yes to your request. That's another misconception. We start to think that he's the God that's just like, well, I guess he said yes because I wouldn't leave him alone. That's not who he is. In fact, he's just the opposite. Take a look at this parallel, what he says, verse nine. He says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Do you see the difference there? One of my uh, uh, pet peeves is going into a, a store, whether it's a retail store or selling it, Walmart, whatever. Uh, you know who's the worst at this is Home Depot. When you finally find somebody that works there and you ask them a question and you sense this complete irritation, like, why are you bothering me? I'm like, because your shirt says customer service rep. And so that's always confusing to me. But either way, this is the point is Jesus is saying, I'm not that guy. I'm not the annoying person. I'm not the, the one that's getting annoyed at you coming. He says, I tell you just the opposite of this scenario. I say, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. And I love it. Knock, I'm the guy that will actually open the door at midnight. Isn't that cool to see? That we have a God that's anxious to hear whatever audacious request you have. You can't even think of something that's annoying to him. There's no such thing of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? That you can't be that guy in God's life. Think about all the audacious things that kids ask. I think about that with my own children. Remember when they were little, I see this picture of this guy spinning the kids. What we would do a lot with my little kids is throwing them, especially in the pool, throwing them up in the air and catching them. And after number 470th time doing it, the kids are like, do it again, dad. And you go through this whole logical presentation. You explain to him, like how, how listen, you know, dad's prone to torn uh, stuff in his body and explain to him what a chiropractor is. You explain to him all of these things of how it works. And you're like, I can't keep doing it. And what do they say after all that explanation? All, all that explanation? Do it again, Dan. All right, here we go. There, my shoulder just went out. There, let's do it again. And, and that, that's, the, that's the picture that we have of an audacious request. Guess what? It doesn't work like that with him. It's like, I don't care. My arms don't get tired. I, I don't mind your request. In fact, I even like the sound of your voice. He's a good father like that. He's explaining, knock, seek, and each of those kind of this picture of a growing persistence and, and keep on going, keep on going, and, and keep on asking. A lot of times we treat uh, prayer requests more like a doorbell ditch. Where you're like, oh, quick and ring it, and then you're done. Like run and don't even wait to see the results. He's saying, no, I'm the one that just wait at the door. I'll come. I'm going to respond to this. But truth be told, there are some prayer requests, and we see this pattern in Scripture, that only come on the other side of persistent prayer. Just 
keep on asking, keep on asking. We have some different requests in our family that have been going for years and years that we just like, keep bringing it before the Lord, keep bringing it before the Lord. Makes you beg to ask the question, the question maybe you've had, and I know I've wrestled with this before, is, is, is why in the world, why is it that God postpones his responses? Anybody ever wrestle with that? Or am I the only one that deals with that? Why, why does God postpone his responses to different requests that we have? Here's a couple possibilities. Here's a couple possibilities. And the, the, the big one that I've noticed in my own life, one of the reasons is that he, it helps us weed through what you really need versus what you think you need. Postponement helps you weed through what you really need between what you think you need, between the two, because a lot of times we don't know until after the duration of time of asking and asking and asking. My uh, kids, I'm going to keep going to kids' illustrations because this is a titles and fathers in there somewhere. And so this is a picture... <laughs> This picture of this, my, uh, my kids, we were at the movies, was it last night, night before, night before last, uh, went and saw Men in Black, not very good, uh, but anyway, uh, saw this movie, and my kids, we had just finished eating like a good full meal, everybody's full and happy, we're going to the theater, we show up, and what do you think my kids start by asking? Yeah, I just treated for this overpriced movie, can we get popcorn? And here's the newest one that I hate. Can I also get a Slurpee? Slurpees are like 40 bucks there. Like what in the world? It's like, it's like either, either pay the house payment or pay for the Slurpee. You know what I mean? You're like, and here's the trick that I've learned. Parents, this is free advice. Here's the trick that I learned. Here's what I say. I've realized that they each have a little bit of money that they've saved up. I say, hey, well, you're welcome. If that's something that you really want, I know you, I know what money you have. You're welcome to purchase it with your own money. Then here's what, what happened. My oldest daughter, I'm not mentioning any names, uh, but, uh, but she, she thought about it. And it's funny how, how all of a sudden they're very uh, frugal and they're very wise. And uh, this, they, these are the literal words that came out of my daughter's mouth. She says, you know, I don't want to spend my money on that. And I said, perfect, because I don't want to spend my money on that either. You weed through the idea of what is a want and what is a need. You weed through it to a degree that's also what our God does as he's processing and allowing us to go through and determine what is a want and what is a need. And you see, over time, a lot of times, our heart changes in our requests. Think about this for the person that has a difficult marriage person that goes to the Lord and the first request, what do they say? Lord, please change my spouse. Change them. Just do something with them. Anything. Change my spouse. And that's where the request starts. Over time, they start to adjust. And they're like, Lord, just save my marriage, please. Rescue my marriage. And over time, over time, lots of requests. All of a sudden, God gets a hold of them. And they start asking the question, God, will you change me on this side of it. And then what happens? God's like, all right, now I got something I can work with. Now I'm going to change you. And when you change, start changing yourself, then all of a sudden your marriage starts to get fixed. And when your marriage starts to get fixed, all of a sudden your spouse starts to see the transformation and get on board and want to come along for the ride. That's how God works with the postponement because God's not so concerned about meeting every single one of our requests. He's more concerned with what? Who you're becoming. 
your transformation, that you're becoming more and more like him, that you're starting to be able to see more through the lens like he does to determine what is good and what's not good. Which leads me to the next part of the question, that same section, verse nine, it says this, ask and it will be given to you. Anybody have struggled with that verse at some point in their life? They're like, what what does that actually mean? If if that's true, why is there not a red Ferrari in my driveway? You know, like, what what, what do you mean ask? It sounds more like he's a cosmic vending machine, the name it and claim it idea. Just ask for it and you're going to get it. You're like, hey, sign me up. He's like a genie. But that's not at all it. If you're going to look at the context, this in context, it comes with the picture of asking It goes through his filter. He determines what is good for you. And that's what you get. You get a filtered version of the request. He says, I weigh it. I determine what is good and what is not. And as a good father, I only give you what's in your best interest. I only give you what's in your best interest. And we start to realize in our prayer, we start to grow in our understanding of what is good and our desire starts to align with his. He's saying, I'm just looking out for you because I know better. Verse 11, we see this specifically. It says, what father among you, love he's turned the conversation to the more intimate father and son. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent. For he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, I love that, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus, again, in this little illustration or parable, he's using that, he's using a pretty audacious picture. What does he say? Something that would be memorable. He says, hey, if you're asking for a fish, who would give you a snake. That wouldn't make sense because why? A snake's potentially uh, dangerous. Like you wouldn't want to get bit by a rattlesnake or something. And uh, sorry, that was a reference to someone in our church. Uh, But uh, in this picture, he says the second one, the egg, would it give you a a scorpion? Like, no way. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a cruel father. That, That wouldn't make sense. I have to weed through and determine what's best for you. Remember when our kids were really young, every once in a while when they're like on their uh, changing ta- table or station, well, they've got these hands that are just grabbing other, s- grab something that's like sharp or dangerous for them. And you take it away. And what does the kid do immediately? Ah, ah. And even as you're recognizing that they don't understand anything, but you still walk them through it. Oh dear, you don't understand. This is dangerous for you. You can't have that. You're going to get hurt. I'm taking this away because I love you. And they're like, ah, they don't really care what you're saying because they don't understand. And I think to a degree, that's a little bit of our God. He's like, listen, you're asking for a serpent. You're asking for a scorpion. I know what's better than you. Why don't you trust me that I know what's best? I have a better plan than you do. I like this quote by Timothy Keller, if you're familiar with this pastor. He says, God will always give you what you would have asked for if you knew what he knows. God will always give you what you would have asked for if you knew what he knows. If we had the mind of God, maybe our requests would be altered. Maybe they'd change. And we're so thankful, or we should be so thankful, that he's willing to run the filter. He's saying, "I'll, I'll run it through. You make the request. He's saying, bring anything to me. 
bring anything to me. It's only our own man-made delusion that we're independent in any function anyway. He's like, let's just get back to reality. You're fully dependent on him for every breath, for everything that you have. You're dependent. So bring it all to him. He'll weed through it and give you the very best gift possible. I like what he says there. He says, if you who are evil, <laughs> like he's, he was very aware of the, the gap between his perfection and the, uh, our, our minuses. He says, if you're, if you're able to come up with good gifts and you're evil, what does he say? How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, when I read that sentence, there's a little bit of a strange piece there. You're like, okay, you would think that he would say, if anyone's asking for a, a, a good gift, like I'm going to blow their socks off. I'm going to give them a really good gift. What does he use interchangeably with the idea of a really good gift? What do you see it there? The Holy Spirit. He's saying, if, you, if we're able to give good gifts, then I'm even better because I can give you the very best gift. I was thinking about that in my office this week and I was, just, I was like, well, how did, that sounds like a, uh, very much like a church answer. Like I was thinking, I was like, how does that work? And I was thinking of anytime I teach in uh, children's programs or whatever, you ask the kids a question and their, their response, Adrian, is always, Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but, but, but really, th- when you think about what request could you make that the response in the gift that he gave that the Holy Spirit was given to you in heavy doses wouldn't be the answer to that request. Think about it. I was, I was jotting those down this week. I'm like, oh, what, what about if I was, I was out of work and I needed employment? What request would be better served than to, for him to say, I'm going to just pour out the Holy Spirit on you? Oh, you mean the one that can alter circumstances? The one that can alter the, the heart? He is, the says, scripture says he holds the heart of kings in his hands, that can, they can change things, that can make an unattractive person attractive? I don't mean physically, I mean people drawn to him. All of a sudden, what comes down to an employment choice? One, it's an open door so often. Two, it's finding favor in the employer. Who do you think holds both of those things in his hand? Do you not see how their answered request is the Holy Spirit? Play that out in a number of different areas. How, how about what we already touched on? Man, God, I would love to see my, my marriage improve. Do you not think that that answer to your request, more you being, having more of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden you're more, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, love, peace, patience. Are you, are you kidding me? If you were all, more of all of those things, do you not think you're a little bit easier to live with? Do you not think that your spouse would want to be around you all of a sudden when you start having more of the Spirit, when you're praying that same prayer over your spouse? Do you see how he's the answer to all these things? Oh man, I, I really struggle with fear and anxiety. Oh, you mean that, that, that the, having the uh, full access to the God that created everything, this one that decided one day to make a son, and that's still what's heating us uh, uh, still to this day? Do you not think access to him, him drawing closer to a brother for the person that's praying for their, for their loneliness? You, think about whatever request he is the answer. Oh man, I'm dealing with this medical thing. Well, I know a really good physician. You know, the one that designed you, the one that made you, the one that heals. Like who else would you want as the answer to your prayer request? He's saying, I know how to give really good gifts. 
What a wonderful story this is, this parable, kind of reminding us, kind of correcting some false thinking. You think about that early on, that you're not the annoying friend. He's not the irritated person receiving the request. He's saying, you just op- I'm just opening the door to whatever you have. Bring whatever request. Be patient. Trust that he's running it through the filter as to what is the best thing for you. That's an amazing God we have. He invites this kind of relationship and that kind of interaction. I wanted to end with a couple moments as instead of us always just hearing something and then going into our days and forgetting about it, I wanted to carve out a couple minutes while the worship team's coming up for us to practice what we preach. Are you guys ready for this? I want you to stand up and start praying out loud. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I want you to stay in your seats and I want you to just have a conversation with God for a couple minutes. Try this out. What, what is something that's a burden for you? So he said, bring whatever it is. It doesn't matter how silly, how big, how small. Something that you want to bring before God in these moments, bring it, bring it before him. Talk to him. I would love for there to be conversations in your heart with God over the next minute or so, just telling him whatever it is that's weighing heavy on you this morning. You guys game to try out what we just talked about? All right, I'm going to be quiet. I'll do it. You guys can try it as well. God, we just thank you right now in these moments for that invitation to ask, to seek, to knock the open invite that you have from your kids, that you want to hear from us. God, and that you're kind enough to weed through the selfish, the misdirected, the asking for serpents, the stuff that we don't realize we're doing that you're willing to weed through that and then give us what's best on the other side of that request. We praise you for that this morning. I pray that going into our week ahead, that we'd implement this. We wouldn't try the whole self-sufficient thing any longer. We'd be God-sufficient, God-confident. I thank you so much for being such a good and amazing Father. We praise you now in song. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.